You are listening to the Energy is Love podcast. If it sounds a little strange and weird, it's because I'm recording this inside of a Holiday Inn. Uh, I think I'm in Arkansas, and I have a blanket over top of my head trying to get the best sound quality, so hopefully it doesn't sound terrible or awful. We are, this is episode 111, which is kind of cool, 111, that's a good episode, and my guest on the show was Amir Jackson. But before I tell you all about the episode, where can you find the podcast? Well, pretty much anywhere and anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find the Energy is Love podcast. You can also go to our website, find all the links where you can download and listen directly right there. Recently, Google Podcasts came out and they released a little app. It's it's not the best app in the world for podcasts, but it's not bad either. And it gives you a place on Android phones that is free and easy to download and listen so if you go to the App Store and type in Google Podcasts, you will find it. And then you type in the Energy of Love podcast and you hit subscribe. And then you download all 111 episodes and binge over the course of the next four weeks. That's your challenge. So go do it. This episode is brought to you by the Refinery Barbershop. The Refinery Barbershop is a kick-ass little men's barbershop. It's, it's like, seriously, it's a man's barbershop located in Springville, Utah. It's the best place to get your hair cut, your beard trimmed. They do the hot towels, straight razor shave, the whole nine yards. It's a really, really cool experience. If you live anywhere in Utah, anywhere, I don't care where you live in Utah, somewhere in Utah, make sure that you drive past Springville, pop in and say hello and let them know that you heard about them on the Energy is Love podcast. Go to their website, refinerybarbershop.com. You can also find them on Facebook, Instagram, all those other kind of social media places, but Honestly and truthfully, they hearken back to a day where men would show up, sit back, relax, connect with one another, get their beard trimmed, get their hair cut. And we need more places like that in today's world. So they're keeping it alive, that tradition of a classic haircut and beard trim. Go show them some love. Remember, it's the Refinery Barbershop, Springville, Utah. I was recently in Montana helping out with the Everyman Expedition that they do every year into Yellowstone. It was a wonderful experience. I had a great time, like seriously one of the best weeks I've had in a long time. Super cool. If you haven't heard me talk about Everyman before, then go to everyman.co. That's E-V-R-Y-M-A-N.co. You can learn all about that organization and what they're about. You can also tune into the Everyman podcast hosted by Dan Doty. But one of the coolest things about Everyman is they help facilitate men across the world in getting started when it comes to running and facilitating and organizing and really getting a men's group going wherever you're at. So I started one in Salt Lake City last year. It's going incredibly well. I would highly recommend that if you are a man and if you're looking for more and if you're looking for a way to expand every aspect of your life, check them out, learn about them, listen to their podcast. You can go back and listen to some of the episodes that we've done that are focused in that area. And if you're local, hit me up. If you want to come check out our men's group in Salt Lake City, we meet every week. You can email me at craig at energyislovepodcast.com. Or if you are listening somewhere else in the world, then go check out Everyman and learn about what they do and then look at possibly starting a group wherever you're at. I would recommend it. It's a real game changer. So now on to the episode. I've got Amir Jackson. When I found Amir, um, I, I didn't find him. He wasn't missing or anything like that. <laughs> but I came across his work and what he's done over the past 12 years, and I was incredibly inspired by it, and I wanted to talk to the guy. So we recorded a few weeks back, and it was a wonderful, wonderful episode. It was one of those kind of episodes where we just got right to it. 
I showed up, shook his hand, set up the table. We sat down and had a kick-ass podcast. So Amir is the founder of Nurture the Creative Mind. Nurture the Creative Mind is a nonprofit organization started by Amir. They're located in Ogden, Utah. And the whole purpose of what he does with Nurture the Creative Mind is really just establishing self-value with the youth, with kids and teenagers, adolescents. And he does that through a variety of different ways, but it's all around tapping into their creativity, um, musical, artistic, dance, all sorts of different stuff. And it's all free for the kids. Um, I don't do it justice in this little promo. He will throughout the episode. I highly recommend that you go and check out their work and what they're up to and what they're doing. It's incredibly inspiring. It's powerful stuff. It's amazing. I can't say that enough. We do talk about it during the episode, but this one, this one was really cool because I wanted to talk about Nurture the Creative Mind, but I also wanted to learn about Amir and kind of learn about the type of man that he was that inspired him throughout his life to eventually get to this point. And it's a, it's an incredible story. He's real open and honest throughout the episode. So I really appreciated it, Amir. And I, I uh, can't say enough. So do me a favor, go to nurturethecreativemind.org. Go to our Facebook page. You can find all the links where you can follow them. Of course, they're on Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of jazz. And for now, you guys just get to sit back and relax and enjoy a wonderful episode with Amir Jackson. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. Okay, man. All right. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, great. Like I found your stuff. Gosh, I don't even remember when it was. It was probably like back in April. And I went through and I looked at everything that you're doing here. And I'm just like, this guy is somebody I want to talk to. Oh, dope. Well, so, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I'm happy to to accommodate, for sure. So the way that I start every interview, because I told you uh, before we push record that I've been doing it for a while. And recently, like in the last couple of months, I've been starting every single interview with one specific question. And I'll give you a little bit of background so it doesn't come out of left field, because it's a hard question. It's one that people okay. don't really like talking about. But I come, well, you know a little bit about my background now, because we talked a little bit, but I'm of the belief that everybody in one way, shape, or form um, struggles with mental balance and mental mental health, essentially. And when you look at mental health, it's this huge spectrum that everybody falls on, right? One end of the spectrum, you just suffer from some depression time to time. Maybe you got a little bit of OCD about some things, and then the other end of the spectrum are like the people that are committed, the people mm. that are extreme cases that are completely schizophrenic or whatever the case may be. But I think everybody in society falls there on that spectrum. And there's such a massive issue with mental health. And I think it influences and affects so many different aspects in our society today. And nobody really wants to talk about it or deal with it or face it and especially bring it out into the open and admit to struggling in any of these areas. So the first question I ask everybody is what form of mental illness do you struggle with or where do you have issues when it comes to kind of your mental balance and well-being? Um, you know, that's a really uh, easy question for me to answer and address. I try to be as self-actualized as possible. Um, it's something that, um, 
you know, mental health and uh, uh, mental well-being, emotional health and well-being, um, I think that um, that is extremely important. And um, the only way to um, have a balance um, is to be honest and um, with yourself um, about uh, on either side of the spectrum, you know, great things, good things about yourself, positive things, as well as those things that you struggle with. It's the only way to really um, address them is to acknowledge them. And so, yeah, like, uh, you know, um, to, the answer to your question would be, um, uh, I, I think that, I don't know, I don't, I really don't know what the um, category um, exactly is, but what I can say is that um, uh, I think it would fall under like depression, um, um, a certain type of depression, um, insecurity. Um, and I think that stems from uh, not feeling adequate enough, um, not feeling as if um, I'm doing enough as much as I do, you know, um, not feeling as if it's adequate enough. If, um, if not feeling as if, um, me personally or my work or, um, anything, just, just feeling inadequate, um, unsure. And then that leading to depression. Um, and I think what really leads to the depression is, um, I don't know, like right now I'm like processing this as I'm talking about it, but I think what, what really leads to the depression is not necessarily the feeling of inadequacy, but um, the in attempt at addressing it and never being, and it never being enough, you know, feeling burned out um, at a certain point. And in that low point, like looking up and being like, wow, like, you know, here I am, um, I'm depressed, <laughs> you know, cause I haven't, I've been putting so much energy and time in trying to be adequate. I haven't put enough energy and time into, um, my happiness, you know, and been chasing a ghost. And I think that that leads to, um, to the depression. Um, recently, uh, there was a, a gentleman, um, you know, suicides are like rampant. It's seemingly rampant right now. Yeah. It's happening all the time. And obviously we're more and more aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine and I, and I asked the question, is it happening more or are we just getting older or what? Cause it seems overwhelming. Um, and you know, like when you, a lot of these cases of suicide, uh, people will say, I never would have expected it. You know, this was the happiest person and they had the best life. And, um, you know, uh, there's the famous case of like Kate Spade. I think that's her name, the, de the, the, uh, designer. And then, um, the, the, the Bourdain, Bourdain, mm -hmm. um, these people seemingly had it all, you know, um, but I think we have to understand that the face of depression, the face of suicide is like a happy face. It's a content face. Um, uh, 
it's 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 a face that seems healthy <laughs> you know it's not it's not like a frowny face it's not an emoji that has a frown like it's really like um the face that we wouldn't expect and i think that that happens to be because um because i've put a, a decent amount of thought into this like and for myself personally just making sure doing the self-check but then also people around me the 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 individuals who seem the most um happy and and and, and the most well balanced typically typically get the least amount of check-in calls you know um people don't reach out to those individuals and say hi how are you doing just wanted to make sure you're okay do you need anything um because it's assumed that they're fine and 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 so while these people seem to um seem to have it all they're really lonely you know what i mean um they're 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 desperately lonely and so yeah i think that when it comes down to it uh, the simple answer to your question would be i think that i i struggle with um depression i think that's a um i don't i don't know where i'm at on that spectrum um <laughs> you forget, is this sorry, your boy, right? yeah that's my son in the background <laughs> um hey makai you can't talk okay thank you <laughs> um let me ask you is yeah. it something that you feel um like if you look back, how old are you, by the way? 38. 38. That's all. No, wait, I'm 37. <laughs> I almost forget. <laughs> but uh, can you look back over your life and see periods of time where it was kind of more intense and would come in waves? Or is it something that's more recent that maybe just your awareness, you can see it in yourself? That's a good question. Um, no, I think that um, I've, I've probably always dealt with it. Um, to one degree or another, and it manifested itself differently at different times. Um, I can remember having, um, you know, struggling as a young person, uh, you know, family life and so on and so forth, and and uh, feeling a certain type of way, uh, feeling a, a level of depression at that time. Um, but, you know, the really interesting thing is that I... I, I I believe that the the work that I do um, is in part because of my depression. Um, it's me in 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 certain ways. It's uh, um, it's me taking that negativity and trying to recycle it into positivity, rather than me allowing it to um, manifest itself in in some negative way, and so. Um, I, th I think, you know, it's the whole like struggling artist or depressed artist or emotional <laughs> artist uh, struggle. Uh, it's, um, you know, I, th I think that it's turning that negativity, that depression, that angst, that anxiety um, and um, flipping it really and in, in, in using it in some way for uh, some positivity, you know, it's like, I'll tell you, you will be a billionaire. Um, anybody who can come up with a way for artists to, um, do their best work when they're positive and they're happy. If you can figure that out, um, you will be a billionaire. <laughs> I promise you. Well, um, like throughout history, right? For sure. All the great artists were struggling. All the great artists had their demons, right? Yeah. And we can go back and look at, and it's not just like, 
you know, when you say artists, people typically, I think, uh, people that paint or something like that, but artistic expression comes out in so many ways and forms. And I agree with you. Like they have always had that. I wonder too, cause it's almost like something that we, um, like come to expect, you know, like that you have to have that dark side in order to create the beautiful stuff that you're going to create and put out into the world. And, but there's something to it. I think, I think that maybe that's the, <clears throat> like the polarity of it where, you know, one aspect of your life is surrounded by all this negativity and you're swimming in your mm -hmm. shadows and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But then you've got that outlet, you've got that ability to tap into whatever it is they can bring forth all the other beauty that exists around you that you may not be able to feel, but yet you can express it in one way, shape or form. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. I think that, um, but, but I mean, people make good art when they're happy too, though. Yeah. I think, I think that, I mean, that is a thing. It certainly is a thing. And, and, and it's potentially, um, about conditioning as mm -hmm. well, right? Like how we condition ourselves. Um, you know, um, there are there are artists, you know, historical and people that I've known um, um, personally, who felt as if they made their best work high, right? Like on some type of drug that ends up killing them in the end. But they have gone sober and felt like their um, the work that they were creating while sober was terrible, right? So they went back to the drugs. Um, and, and I think that in, in some ways we condition ourselves to think and believe that, um, that if we are in this dark place or if we're in this depressed state, that we are going to create, um, timeless, um, wonderful, uh, meaningful pieces of work. And that's the only way that we can do it. And so it becomes somewhat of a, um, it's like the person who, um, feels like they are um they're more sociable or they're funnier when they're drinking right and that they just can't be that person yeah unless yeah. they're drinking you know um and and, and eventually you, it becomes like a um, self-fulfilling prophecy you know like uh you're not that person because you can't you believe you can't be and so then you drink and you become the person you feel like you can be while you're drinking you know it's just I don't know. I don't know what the um, I don't know what the uh, the rhyme or reason or the science is behind it, but it, it, it's real. You know, it's a real thing. Like, um, and and this is the first time in any interview that I've ever given that. You know, everybody wants to talk about like the positive stuff. I get that, <laughs> right? Like, I, I totally understand. I want like, to talk about positive stuff too, but yeah, yeah. But this is a real thing. Like, this is a real thing. Yeah, like it's so present today, right? For sure. And I think because over my, like I talked about my career in law enforcement and one of the things that I dealt with a ton of that I didn't even realize when I uh, was starting out becoming a cop that I was going to deal with this was death. And the vast majority, not the vast majority of the time, but a lot of time it came from suicide or an overdose or something like that. Yeah. And so having to show up and respond during those kind of situations, I mean, I got firsthand experience of seeing the impact of what that does. Um, you know, obviously like in the very practical sense when somebody takes their life, but then dealing with the person right there in the moment who's left, right? There was a time where, I mean, there were so many of them, unfortunately, but I remember one specifically where we responded and this guy had, um, shot himself and he's in his kitchen 
And when I show up, because I was the first guy there, I come into the kitchen and his girlfriend was on the ground holding him, trying to hold his head and trying to stop the bleeding. And there's just this massive pool of blood. And I show up and I'm like trying to help her. I'm, you know, down on the ground trying to give her some towels and things like that to kind of stop and control the bleeding. And he was still alive. He was still breathing. Um, obviously he was unconscious, but being right there in that moment and seeing the effects that it has. And then that, that woman specifically, because obviously that was an impactful thing for me to experience. And I remembered everything about it and I remembered her and the whole thing. Right. And I remember like a year and a half later pulling over a car and she was in that car and kind of seeing the trajectory of her life, even though it mm. was a snapshot, right? Because mm -hmm. I talked to her a little bit and uh, asked her how she was doing and how things had you know, gone since um, that incident had happened for her. And it wasn't a good life, you know? That was mm. a very difficult thing for her to kind of move through. So I think it's something that affects so many different people in so many different ways, but it also has like this over, overwhelming kind of broad reach when it comes to... and. I label it as like mental health, but it's so nuanced, right? There's so many mm -hmm. different ways to look at it, but I think it has all these overwhelming effects for all these other issues that are taking place in society right now. All the big things that people are talking about today, I think a lot of them stem back to just people's mental health and well-being and the way that we address and confront and deal with and really don't do any of those things, right? Nobody sure. talks about it. We just shove it away. We don't want to discuss it. Um, how often do we, cause I think about this all the time too, when we get like those shootings that occur and unfortunately it happens way too often and people will, um, they will speak about the person, uh, about the shooter in such a negative way that they're crazy, that they must be a maniac, that they must have something wrong with them. And I agree that there is definitely something wrong with that person that's going to do something like that. But that's a mental health issue, right? That didn't just snap. Mm -hmm. That occurred over several years, if not decades of them leading up to that point where they're going to do something like that. And I think part of the thing is like we're not addressing any of it along the road until it has that effect. And it's not to say that mental health is a cause of mass shootings because there's so many different reasons for it to happen. But I think it's a big thing. I think it's a big cause. Well, I, I think that the... Um there's two things that you said um, that really uh, resonated with me, and and uh, one is that we there is no space, or there are limited spaces for us to um, to um, acknowledge and admit that we're dealing with these things that are categorized as mental health issues, um, without feeling um, in in some ways as if we're going to be demonized or um, looked down upon, you know, um, looked at, at, uh, looked at as unstable, you know, like we can't say like, Hey, I'm dealing with depression and people think that you need to be like, you need medication. You need to, uh, be hospitalized. Like you're no longer a stable person if you're depressed. Right. And then there's the other issue, which is, the, um, the most dismissive, it's easy to call someone crazy because then it's just everything that they've done, you can just dismiss, right? Um, it's one of the most dismissive things and categories or definitions is to label someone crazy. There are crazy people. That's a thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing. That being said, 
Um, some of the individuals who are uh, involved in these mass shootings are normal people. They live normal lives. They um, were normal in every sense, right? They're not just crazy, um, all of these individuals. I think that, uh, and, and, if, and one of the reasons why we've seen um, and this is just, you know, I'm not a professional in, in this, uh, in this field, but, um, my, my opinion is that one of the reasons why we've seen a rise in this is because when we address it as just crazy people rather than normal people, we never really, um, are able to address it. Right. It, it's, it's, um, it's just become, um, I don't know. It's, it, it seems to be more apparent, more, um, it's becoming a regular occurrence. It's becoming a regular occurrence. And you can't, I can't be convinced that, um, America is breeding more crazy people, right? I just don't, I can't be convinced of that. I think that these are normal people who, um, we are not, um, these are normal people who at some point in their lives were dismissed, right? And uh, and, and in some ways weren't able to have that conversation or those conversations that are necessary in order to deal with these rooted issues, right, that are multifaceted um, and complex and difficult to talk about. But um, unless we acknowledge it, unless we um, are willing to address it, um, head on and and um, address these difficult topics. Uh, I don't see an end to the um, destruction that we're seeing so far as um, on a societal level with like these these mental issues. Yeah, and it's sad, right? And it because we do dismiss it. It's become the accepted norm where yeah. it's you know they they occur so frequently now that we don't really. You know, obviously the news cycle doesn't slow down long enough to really give it the gravity that it requires because of the tragedy that's occurred. And then we're just on to the next thing. But I think overall people just have accepted that this is now the new norm for us in America, where this yeah, is going to sure. occur on a regular basis. And the whole argument that takes place with gun control activists or, you know, all these other kind of things that people try to um, present as fixes, I think that it's going to take a... Uh, a lot of different things, right? They're all going to play some little piece of the puzzle because this problem didn't just occur overnight. For sure. We've definitely led down this road to where now this is the accepted norm and this is going to occur again, undoubtedly, unfortunately. So then how do we shift the mindset? Right. And I mean, that's just the massive thing of like, how do you, how do you sure. create world peace? <laughs> For sure. You know, well, I'll tell you one thing and uh, you know, the answer to that, how do you create world peace? I do not know, but I, I, I don't believe you're going to be able to create world peace by dealing with it one, like as if it's one factor and there's one solution, mm -hmm. right? Um, th these things are multifaceted and they have to be addressed in a multifaceted way. Um, meaning that it's not an either or, it's an and to, it's an addition to. Like I think that, uh, you know, uh, mental health is a is a is an issue. So let's deal with that. Uh, um, gun control. Let's deal with that in, in a reasonable, logical way. Um, uh, you know, rational. Like just having a rational approach to these problems. Uh, 
is it's to me like world peace. I, 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 I mean, it's huge, right? Um, but I don't necessarily believe it's unobtainable um, um, if, if, if dealt with um, in a multifaceted way. If we, if we all are um, doing our peace, you know, I think that it's obtainable. Um, I think because I'm just thinking of this now as you're talking about it, because, you know, people <clears throat> that whole concept of like, well, let's create world peace. And I told you earlier, too, how I talk to a lot of people kind of in the space of spirituality and energy and all these kind of different beliefs where we're just going to sit and manifest and meditate and put out love into the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And it's going to, you know what I mean, fix everything that's taking place. And, and if enough of us just sit around and open up our heart chakras, then somehow it's going to raise the vibration of the planet and everything's going to be better. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that I don't think that that's a possibility. And it's not that I don't think that that kind of energy put out into the world is a good thing. It definitely is. But um, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I also think that the fact is too, if we look at the entire world, right, the world population and all the different areas and all the different small towns and villages and big cities spread out across the entire planet, my guess is, if we were to break it down like super simple, like probably 85%, maybe 80% of the world is peaceful. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the vast majority of the world, my guess is probably pretty peaceful if we look at it on the big scale. For sure. Relatively speaking. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Now, granted, there's areas of the world and all over the place that are terrible, horrible places that atrocities are happening. Mm -hmm. But if we take it as a whole, that's definitely just a small percentage of, of the overall thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't think the the it may seem like an insurmountable thing that we have to try to achieve when really maybe it's not. We just aren't looking at it from the perspective of the whole, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think this is how I, I, I live my life. Is that, um, is world peace, is it possible? Um, maybe and, and maybe not. But if I do nothing then I can guarantee that it will not be possible, right? I think that, um, like, I, I, I raise my son, you know, um, from the perspective um, that I want to do everything possible. Um, there's no guarantees with your children, you know, um, how they end up in life and um, if they become a drug addict or a criminal or... Um, whatever there's a, or a doctor or a lawyer or you know a janitor there's really no formula for this right but um i want to be able to say uh, when i'm older and he's older that i did everything i could to put him in a positive position in life to be successful um and a and a a decent person and a good citizen um i don't want to ever question that that i did what I could. And I feel like, and when it comes to peace, we should be doing what we can, you know, to achieve that. No, there's no guarantees. Um, but we should all be doing our part to do what we can, whatever that may be, um, to achieve that goal. And if, and, and if the goal is not achieved, we can at least, um, have peace within ourselves that we did what we could. I like it. Okay. <laughs> so you suffer from some depression time to time. Now we can move on. Thank okay. you for that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good conversation and it's one that I enjoy having. 
And I think it's beneficial for people out there to think differently and question themselves and look at things differently and all that kind of stuff. But now I want to learn about you, man. Like I'm so inspired by what you're doing and I want to hear the whole story of how you created this, but give me a better, or take me back a little bit further. Like, are you originally from Ogden? Where did you grow up? All that kind of jazz. No, I'm not originally from Ogden. I actually grew up in Rochester, New York. Um, you know, single parent household. I have a, a brother and a sister. Um, I'm the oldest of three. Um, and, you know, I actually uh, came to Utah by way of the military and um, was stationed at Hill Air Force Base and lived there until about six years ago. Um, uh, there being Layton, lived in Layton about until about six years ago. And then I, uh, you know, came to Ogden and made Ogden my home and have been here since. So you were in the Air Force for how long? I was in the Air Force for about six years. Why did you enlist way back in the day? Oh, man. You know, um, that's really, and I'm not, uh, it's really simple <laughs> why, why I enlisted and why most people enlist. Um, in my opinion, or most people from my background, um, I should say, um, I had no plan after, uh, high school. I knew I wanted to do something. I knew I needed to do something. Um, my mother made it very clear that, uh, either I was going to be in college or I was going to get a job or get out the house. Those are my options. Um, and, um, you know, the military provided some stability, um, some training, and um, it, it, it also provided some financial um, support for college after the military. And that was the reasons. Those were the reasons um, for me joining the military. Like you said, do you think a lot of people are like that? Like it just gives them not something to do, like they're bored, but like gives them you know, now I don't have to answer what am I going to do after I graduate from high school? Yeah, it's incentive based. I mean, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, there are the individuals who join the military because um, they want to kick ass and take names, right? Um, but I think that that's a small percentage um, of the individuals who, who join the military. Most people are looking for a job, very plainly put. Most people who, especially in that... Um, right out of high school. Um, they're looking for a job and a lot of them want to go to college and they don't have the financial means in order to do so. The military, um, I don't know what the percentages are, but if you were to um, look into the percentages of people who are in the military who are um, who come from a low middle, low middle income or low income background, um, it's a vast majority of the individuals um, that are in the military come from those backgrounds. Um, they're looking for jobs um, and they want to go to college. And um, a lot of them want to go to college and don't have the financial um, backing or resources to do so. That doesn't mean that these individuals are not patriotic. They're certainly patriotic. There's a lot of choices out there for people um, in those situations to choose from. But certainly, like it's um, th those incentives really do pull in um, people from poor backgrounds. I think that's probably <clears throat> by design, right? For sure. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, it kind of sucks that, that <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking too, like, 
if we go all the way back to when we were fighting people hand to hand in the middle of open fields and stuff like that, my guess is it was probably the poor people at the time that were pushed into that environment, right? I, yes, absolutely yeah. agree. That sucks. <laughs> it does suck. It's, it, it, um, it is by design. Um, it's, 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 um, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's shameful actually, you know, um, in a lot of ways, uh, that these individuals, um, like myself and others, um, are used, you know, like we're, we're, we're used in some ways and there is an incentive for us to be used. Um, but it's, it's sad that the, um, if, if there was, if there was more people, if more people had opportunity, um, to inability to go to college, um, and didn't need the military, you would find that there was less um, people joining the military. That's to me just is a, like a broad fact. Yeah. You know, did you, um, like, do you look back now and like, do you look back and I mean, obviously my guess is you probably don't regret your time. Um, I loved the military. In. Yeah. I loved, I loved being in the military. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I learned from the military. Um, there was things that I didn't like, you know, um, about it. Uh, certainly, um, certain pieces of the culture of the military that didn't vibe with my, um, future outlook, you know, who I wanted to become. And, um, but my time in the military was amazing. I love the brotherhood. I love the camaraderie. It's like nothing else I've ever experienced that, that camaraderie with the individuals you serve with, um, and people you've never served with, right? Now you're a part of this brotherhood where it's um, um, people who have served before can understand, you know, um, who you are and where you come from. And uh, it's, 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 uh, yeah, you know, I don't, I definitely don't want my statements about the, um, uh, you know, the statements about the military and, and, and their incentives and how they market themselves and who they market themselves to and, um, to come across as if, oh my gosh, <laughs> one second. Hey, Makai, Makai. So okay. Cute, so, <laughs> um, yeah, I love the military and basically the military was great to me. Um, there are people that I still talk to, to this day. Um, and those experiences, uh, that I had in the military, um, were invaluable. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I would have been able to get those experiences and those lessons from anywhere else. You know, the military was a, and I, and to this day, um, I suggest to people, if you don't have a plan, right. If um, kids that I work with or, um, kids that I come across, if you don't have a plan, um, go into the military, get a paycheck while you're trying to figure it out, <laughs> you know, like, uh, get some get some um, financial support for for college. Um, leverage that for whoever you want to be. And, and um, but certainly the military is great. Um, it was great to me, and it's great. It was great enough for me to suggest it to other people for sure. Well, I think it's like everything else. Uh, I mean, there's good and bad, obviously, right? Yeah. And I think about this too. I don't know why the hell it made me think of this, but <clears throat> I think about religion, and I. I constantly talk about i don't constantly talk about but i constantly think about this dynamic where um you know there's good and bad with religion and there's i don't think 
there may be some like really crazy bad religions out there, but by and large, they're all centered around common themes and good mm -hmm. ideas. But then all the negative things that have come through and from, uh, you know, religion and the stigmas attached to it and the things that people have, the atrocities that have taken place, that's just the individual, right? That's just the person or the people. For it's sure. not the message. And, you know, same thing in regards to kind of the military in a sense where, yes, there's terrible things that occur and there's bad people that um, use that system or work that system or whatever. But at the end of the day, like that's the minority, I would think, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that's really disappointing is that um, people want you to be on one side or pick a side, right? Um, do you hate this or do you love it? And, and, um, and, I, you know, I like to keep it 100% real or as real as possible. And there are things that I love that I don't agree with everything about it. You know, that doesn't mean I don't love it. Right. Um, there, there are family members that I adore. Right. But I don't agree with every choice they make. Does that mean I don't love them? Um, or do I, do I love them less? I, I think not. Um, I correct my son daily. That's because I love him. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the there's good and bad in everything. Um, you know, I'll tell you a little bit more about my background. And this is something that, like, um, this is a different type of interview that I've ever done. You know, <laughs> let me just say that. Um, this is something that really, I would say, 95% of people don't know about me. And that is, um, and parts of it they know. But not everyone knows the full um, um, background and... I was raised in a Baptist church. Um, I was I was baptized at Holy Trinity Baptist Church in, in in Rochester, New York. I sang in the Little Lambs Choir. I was raised um, to believe in 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 Jesus and God from day one. Right. Um, I went to a Muslim private school when I was uh, in junior high, and uh, when I was. 18 years old, I was baptized LDS. Um, so I have a decently colorful religious background. And um, I will tell you that there are more similarities between religions, all of them, than there are differences. We just tend to focus on the differences. Yeah. Um, it's, there is good and bad in everything. Um, but as you stated, um, religions and most religions are, um, are, um, built around a message of love and, um, togetherness and, um, care for others. And, you know, there's, they're, they're, they're built around these really, um, righteous concepts. The problem is that we people, men, women, mankind <laughs> um you know we tend to mess things up you know um but that's not the message's fault it's the messenger's fault right and um can't blame a whole religion for um a group of people even if that group of people is um 20 of that religion you cannot blame that religion um um for that if that's if that's the case then every religion on earth is terrible because every religion on earth is um, um, 
at some point in time in its history have, has done something that hasn't been um, the most moral, um, most humane thing. Uh, so yeah, like it, it's, it's, I'm a spiritual person. I don't really consider myself a religious person these days. I'm more of a spiritual person, um, than a religious person. But yeah, I think that like, I, I do, um, I am connected and, and religiously or spiritually, I am connected in that way for sure. I've had conversations. I've got a good buddy of mine that him and I will have like really deep conversations at times. And he comes from a LDS background and him and I will have these conversations where he understands kind of my belief. Um, I'm not religious, super spiritual. I believe that everything, that's why it's the energy is love podcast. Cause for me, everything at the end of the day is the energy that exists and we're all made from and we all stem from and all that kind of jazz is just love. It's super basic. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like you said, all religions have that common theme where we are coming from that same place and then it gets tainted by man. Um, but we'll have these kind of debates where he's like, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but I really think like at the end of the day, you need the love of Christ, right? Jesus Christ mm -hmm. is our savior. And he starts off with all the, um, dogma that comes from the LDS church. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm all, I totally agree with you. Like, we're talking about the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just choose to call it something different. For sure. Do you think that people, do you think there's a part of us as human beings that, um, not necessarily in order to be truly happy, but to kind of find that contentment and peace in life, do you think that we need that, that bigger thing we need to have, um, not necessarily some of those answers, but that knowingness inside, whether we, uh, align with, you know, religion or spirituality or something, but something that gives us a warm feeling inside. Otherwise we're always kind of lost in that space and can't find true peace. And this is kind of that crazy esoteric space that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. but like, do you think it's part of our being and our makeup, we have to have that knowingness yeah. inside. I think that this is, that's a, that's a, like a philosophical question. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's, for sure. There's, it's one of those questions that really have no definitive answer, um, to it. Um, it's just kind of like a, um, a circle, right? <laughs> but think <laughs> about the people that you know that are, cause I know a lot of people that are, seem kind of miserable, right? Like they, they're not really happy and they may seem from the outside successful. They may be content. They may have, they're, they're shit together in a sense, but there's always this part of me that's like, you're missing something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, it's this greater understanding or belief about the universe, but for other people, it's religion, it's this, it's that. But I think that there's a part of us, like our DNA or our makeup that needs that. I think that, you, you know, um, so my, my, my answer, my short answer would be, yes, I do. I do believe that there's a need right for something greater um, more than ourselves um my 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 thought is that for some people that's mountain biking right like for some people that's camping some people it's traveling some people it's yoga some people it's going to an lds temple um religion spirituality gives us meaning and I think that those individuals who are really, um, like you, you said, um, those people who feel, you feel like th something's missing. It's meaning that's missing, I think, in a lot of 
in a lot of times. It's purpose. Religion gives us purpose. Someone who is an avid mountain biker, that gives their life purpose. Whatever, whatever, the, whatever job they have, um, doesn't matter, right? They're living for that weekend and getting that really sick, you know, downhill um, experience. You know, that's what they're living for, um, and that helps give them purpose. And they surround themselves with other individuals who are like-minded and have that same purpose. They read up on um, mountain biking, what's the best components or where's, where are the best mountains to go to. And um, uh, it's very religious for them, right? And, and I think that that's what it comes down to. I think that um, at the end of the day, we are all, all of us, all of us are um, searching for purpose. This is, this is the, the other side of that coin, though. Because those were all positive things, um, mountain biking, yoga, um, you know, going to an LDS temple. It's all it's all um, encased in positivity. It's the purpose behind it. Um, but some people, their purpose is becoming a neo-Nazi skinhead, right? Um, some people, their purpose is they believe their purpose is um, overturning the government or uh, shooting up a school of 30 and shooting up 30 kids at a, at a school. Um, and that's to me like, but all that, that's when you, when, when you start to understand that, right, it's purpose driven. Um, some people fill that void of pur purpose with something positive, And then other people fill that void of something, um, of purpose, um, with something negative, you know, but I think it's all purpose driven. Yeah, I agree. It makes sense, right? <clears throat> like you have to have, not necessarily know the meaning of life, but know what your meaning of life is. Absolutely. Right? Like what is it that really drives me at the end of the day? For sure. So that's a great like lead in. Like what's your purpose, man? What drives you? Um, you know, uh, you know, you know. I just want to live a life. I believe in legacy. Um, I'm an individual who is not necessarily looking at the, um, I don't have my head down looking at my next step. I have my, my, my head up, um, focus on the objective and just believe that the steps will take me there. Right. As long as I focus on the objective and, um, I want my legacy to be, um, something um, in which I can feel as if my life mattered, you know, um, that I had an impact on the world around me and that impact was positive. And in um, some way, small is just fine. But in some way, I um, left the world a better place um, than when I came. Um, I think that that is really important. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a collective mindset person. Um, and so I, I think about like, if we all did that, you know, I wouldn't benefit from it. My son's generation, um, may not benefit from it, but, um, you know, if we, if, if everybody did that, um, in the world with that, that idea that we have, or we were talking about the world becoming a peaceful place, um, that's obtainable. 
it may be a hundred thousand years from now, but it's obtainable if we are all doing our part to leave the world a better place than we came. Um, and so, yeah, that's really my purpose is just, um, just that. And, and, and the way that I manifest that, I guess, is through working with young people. Um, I think that's the most direct way to have an impact on the future is to impact and um, empower, encourage young people. Um, and so that's, that's, that's what I do. That's my purpose. So before, because <clears throat> now we get to talk about like every <laughs> where we're sitting and what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. And I'm excited to hear about it. Uh, it's the nurture the creative mind, right? Yes. Before you started that, before you founded it, did you like, how, tell me about how you, did you have other areas and other ways and other outlets where you were trying to kind of leading up to this, right? I think so many times, I think about this all the time. It, it happened with me in the podcast where, you know, we have all these little kind of baby steps or even things that we create in a sense and we put out into the world and then that thing, it doesn't fail, but it dissolves and mm -hmm. disappears. And then we build off of that and create something else and create something else. And then eventually something sticks or something lasts longer, right? We give birth to an idea, to a thought, to something that's going to be our, not our purpose per se, but what we do, we give birth to that thing and then it dies. And then we give birth to another thing and some things live longer than others. So what was the precursor to this, right? What mm -hmm. did you start out doing that led you to this point where you create this amazing thing? You know, I, I, I really don't think that there was something similar to this that was a precursor to the organization um, that was in line, I guess that was in alignment with the organization. But there's certainly like, I've always been a creator. Um, always, I mean, as young as I can remember, um, I was like creating my own clothes, right? Like, uh, you know, cutting up clothes that look a certain type of way, um, um, putting outfits together in a mixed match type of way. Um, I've, I've always wanted to create things. I actually got a, um, a message from uh, uh, someone on Facebook and and uh, it was a friend request and I asked them, you know, like, um, can you just remind me like how we know each other? Because, <laughs> you know, you get this spam messages yeah, yeah. and friend requests. And, and so... Um, the person said, oh, you know, we used to live together or we were neighbors in the apartment complex in Layton. And um, you used to throw these barbecues and pool parties at the apartment complex and uh, with music and food and, and, and whatnot. And uh, I think that, you know, I just I remember I came across as um, a friend request um, or a friend suggestion. And uh, just thought I'd friend you. Now, the, the the reason why that is significant is because that was one of those. This was before the organization, and even then, I was trying to create community, right? Like, as a person at an apartment complex, um, I just decided like I was going to fund community barbecues and pool parties um, because I just felt like we're living right next to each other. We see each other at the pool. Um, this was really the reason why I did that was because we, we I, I noticed that, you know, there would be people that would come to a public space, a pool area that was um, um, 
people you literally live on top of, right? (laughs) Um, And they wouldn't talk to each other. Like people would just walk by and not talk to each other. And so um, I said, you know, I got to figure out a way to um, connect this community, this apartment complex community. And so I just um, funded it. And so I think, I guess my point to that whole story is that I've always been a creator. I've always wanted to create community. I've always looked for ways to do that. Um, and, um, you know, this is uh, the, the organization kind of has those elements to it. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, when I decided to start Nurture the Creative Mind, it was um, it was about community. It was about it, it had to have these aspects to it, you know, community, inclusivity, um, uh, diversity, uh, uh, collectivism, you know, um, the me um, is less than the we, right? That that mentality, um, togetherness, like these are things that I've been doing for years. And it just kind of, uh, this, this organization, um, I don't know, this is just like another manifestation of that. Yeah. How long ago did you start it? 12 years. 12 years? 12 years. Damn, I didn't realize it had been that long. Yeah, 12 years, man. And now, for the first, this is no joke, for the first eight years, no, excuse me, for the first seven and a half years of Nurture the Creative Mind, um, I worked during the day and did it um, in the afternoon. And, and, you know, so I had my day job. Um, which was a plethora of things. Like I was a bartender. Um, I at a restaurant. Um, I ended up um, becoming a an assistant at a school. Um, um, I did a, a bunch of things. I ended up working up at Weber State University. Uh, a lot of things. And um, then I would, you know, in the afternoons, I would um, have this after school program working with kids. And I did that for seven and a half years. Um, until we were finally able to um, uh, make the leap, and and let me let me actually be more honest about that. Finally able, we we actually weren't finally able. <laughs> um, I ended up deciding that either I was I was I was going to take the leap, and either I was going to make it to the other side or I was going to fall in the valley, and 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 so I quit my job. Um, in the school district, you can either take your payments, um, your paycheck over your salary over the year, full year, or you can get paid over nine months. And I had decided that I would get paid over the year. And, um, and so at the end of the year, um, I didn't re-sign my contract, decided to, to leave. And so that gave me three months. I knew I had three months of paycheck coming through, um, and I didn't know what the hell I was going to do after that. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew that I had three months. Um, and so I just made the decision that I was going to make that leap. And it all worked out. Um, and here we are, you know, four and a half years later. And um, we're in a better position than we've ever been. So I think that first off, that's amazing, right? That that leap that you're talking about, the like the leap into the unknown. I want this. I can see what's on the other side. I hope that it's there when I make it. For sure. But there's a good chance that I'm not going to. For sure. But I'm still going to, right? I think that there's that manifests in a lot of different ways. But um, 
that's a struggle. Like it's, it's one thing to go from that. You know, it's really easy to describe it in such a way where, yeah, I made the leap and now we're here, but all that shit in the meantime, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a grind. It's not easy. Not easy. The stress that takes place and the things that happen and constantly like, what am I doing? Did I make the right decision? Oh my gosh. Like how hard was that process? Right. What, not how hard that process was, but what did you, what drove you through that process? Purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, the, um, like I truly believe I cannot express it any more firmly. Um, I truly believe that this is what I was born to do. Like, this is what I was born to do. And, um, feeling that way, um, when there is an obstacle or there are struggles, I don't feel like it's the end. I feel like it's another test. Like, like I'm supposed to get, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like for my, the rest of my life, this is my purpose in life. Um, and it's hard right now. Um, but that doesn't mean like it's going to end. I just don't see an end. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it other than it's, this is what I was meant to do. And so there's the, and when, when the struggles come, which they are ever present, um, it is a grind. It is a hustle. Um, it's, there's never a coast, you know what I mean? Like you really, you don't clock in and clock out of your purpose. Right. Um, so when, when those struggles do come, um, I just take a step back, um, and remember that this is what I was supposed to be doing. There was a moment I had, this is a true story. <laughs> there was a moment that I had years ago um, where I was going to school at Weber State University. I was the president of the NAACP, um, the, uh, the Weber State University chapter. I was, um, I was working full time. Um, and I had this organization that I was running as well. And I was overwhelmed. Like, I mean, just so, so, so overwhelmed. And I remember like my phone was ringing, you know, I was a busy person and, um, I had all these people to answer to. Right. And I remember my phone ringing one time. And me being pissed, right? Like so upset that these people are bothering me. Like that's how I was feeling. These people are bothering me. Don't and 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 getting um, super selfish. Like don't, don't they understand? <laughs> you know how busy I am yeah. and how much I have going on and yada yada yada. And uh, this. It, what I did next, I think, was a definitive moment for me. And I went to the bathroom. I looked in the mirror. I leaned on the counter. And I said to myself while looking at myself in the mirror, this is what you asked for. This is what you asked for. You accepted this purpose. How dare you, right, complain about people connecting with you? This is this. And, and at that point... It was, I understood that everything that comes with it, the struggle comes with the purpose and I have to accept it. You know, um, this is what I, I accepted and I didn't just accept the, 
the good things, the being able to be interviewed by people and um, the uh, the accolades, the awards, the pats on the backs. I I accepted the fullness of this purpose, the struggle that comes along with it. And um, um, yeah, like that's that brings me through those hard times. It's just understanding that this is your purpose. You signed on for this. You could have said no, right? And gotten a desk job somewhere <laughs> and been, um, uh, and had less stress in your life. But this is what you wanted. And um, since you wanted it, this is what you got. See, I think that's so important because so many times, I mean, I think there's a lot of people, especially like now, right? Society's changing in the sense where I think people realize we're not going to work a nine to five job for 20 years and then retire, right? Mm -hmm, Everybody's mm -hmm. going to have all of these different careers over the course of their lifetime. And so many more people I think are trying to find their own thing and create their own thing and be the entrepreneur and go out and do something that does feed that purpose and that purpose in life. Um, but I think that a lot of times too, it's like everything else where we idolize it, right? If I can really find my purpose and then create the thing that's going to fulfill my purpose, then I'm going to be happy. Mm -hmm. And then my life's going to be super easy and I'm going to have all the answers and all the stress is going to melt away. And it doesn't like, mm -hmm. the, the, <laughs> you know, yes, you've got the warm feeling at the end of the day that can continue to drive you through all those stresses and all that chaos to a certain extent. And life does get easier, I think but it's not by any means easy, right? Mm. It's not a vacation. It's not a, you know, I don't have to work for the man anymore. I don't have to worry about this or that. Like it's still there. It's just different. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, like I said, it's ever present. Um, those, those things, it doesn't just go away. Mm -mm. Um, there, the stresses, the, um, complications, they change but they never really go away. They're just different. Um, which, you know, I think that, um, you know, you know, to tie this in with like the organization, you know, we're an arts-based organization, but what we're really teaching kids, um, this is the sleight of hand, right? This is the, this is kind of the magic trick, um, of our organization. Uh, you know, when you write a grant, to receive funding, this is not the type of thing that's like what I'm going to say next is not the type of thing that's funded. You know, you need something concrete in order to be funded. But really what we do is um, through creativity, exploration of creativity and arts, we teach young people how to create things in their lives, right? How to adapt, how to adjust, right? And that's even going back to like depression, um, how to adapt when you're depressed, like how to, that's what creative people do all the time. You don't have enough money for materials, but you still need to create an art piece. Okay. Well, you got to figure it out. And sometimes the lack of something ends up being a blessing for you because you're able to do something better right? You figure out a new process. Um, and that's what we're teaching these young people, how to become successful, how to live and, 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 um, and be able to create a life for yourself. And one in which you're proud of, one in which you're, you're happy with. Um, and when life comes at you, because it will, how to adapt, how to make an adjustment, how to pivot, 
right? Um, I think that that is one of the things that um, some people with a, a very production-like mindset um, aren't able to do very well, right? Uh, when step three has been taken out of the production, they're like, well, what do we do now? You know, um, whereas someone, and those are the individuals with the, like the linear mindset, but no innovation comes through a linear mindset. Um, uh, and that means innovation in your relationships, like personal relationships, um, friends, family, uh, you know, your partner, um, when you're dealing with a, um, when you're struggling in a relationship, how do you adapt? What changes do you make? Right? How do you pivot? Um, when there's a when when um, your job like description changes, right? You've been doing something um, for five years a certain type of way. How do you? And, and, and a new boss comes in and changes your job and the way you do it. How do you adapt? Um, and, and and how do you innovate? How do you create? That's really what um, our organization does for young people. It really helps them. Um, we empower them. Uh, we help them establish self-value. And we show them how to adapt. We, 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 um, we show them the process of creativity and how creativity can be applied in every arena of their lives. Well, it's so important, right? <clears throat> because I think living is change, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Everything at any given moment. I don't think we ever live the same day twice. For sure. Everything is continually changing in one way, shape, or form. And, you know, we see it in big ways and it's easy to see in small ways sometimes too, but like the mundane ways, it's different all the time. So mm -hmm. we constantly have to be able to adapt and change and not just go with the flow, but I like the, uh, like the, the, the idea that they get to create what that looks like, right? Mm -hmm. They get to turn that, uh, just innate thing that happens in life and take control of it to some extent and manifest and work in conjunction with it as opposed to being a victim to absolutely change. And you see people that get stuck in that where they give it, you know, they give up because, they can't adapt and they can't change and they, you know, they give up on their hopes and their dreams or whatever the case may be and are satisfied with that mundane life, even though they may have that thing inside that say, I want more. They just don't know how, mm -hmm. they don't know how to create it. So I think it's awesome. Yeah. I think one, so sorry, but really quickly, I think one of the things that's very important is we try to teach the kids in our organization, um, in, in subtle ways, but, um, the victim mentality is, is, um, a mentality for um, destruction. If you accept like that you're a victim and things are happening to you, right? Um, and rather than asking like, why me, right? I didn't have um, all of the things that I wish I did when I was a young person. I didn't have a father in my life. My, my stepfather um, um, detested me, you know? Uh, um, to the point where I had to move from my home and live with other family members um, for my own health and safety. Uh, but rather than asking, I think we all, right, the young people I work with and we work with through this organization, and and um, but all of us people who are listening, rather than asking, like, why me? I think the best question you can ask yourself is what now? Whatever's happened has happened, right? The why me doesn't do anything to help you move forward, right? Why didn't I have a father? Why didn't my mother make a different choice? Um, um, I could ask 
so many, we all could ask millions of questions that would do us no good. <laughs> you know, the question that really helps is what now? What now? What are, what am I going to do now since this was my circumstance? And, and how this, like, like, this is the creative process. I promise you, it is directly and symbiotically connected to creativity. Um, I mixed these colors. They didn't turn out the way I wanted. What now? Not why me? Like throwing your hands up yeah. and then, you know, like that's not, that's not the way it works. Um, you have to figure out what now, what are you going to do? And I think if we apply that to our lives, uh, we ask that question rather than the why me, what now? I think we all would be happier and healthier for it. Yeah. My wife and I have this thing that we, because uh, <clears throat> we tell each other what's next. And uh, it comes from, because we're dorks and we watched uh, West Wing back in oh, the day. yeah, yeah, it's dope. Yeah, we binged on West Wing and there's this thing in that series where President Bartlett, you know, they get done addressing whatever issues at play and then it's like, okay, what's next? Like, we got to move on to the next thing, Absolutely. Right? So we're constantly joking around and teasing with each other and laughing about it in a sense, but it's true, right? Because obviously we have issues in life and things come up and... Sometimes they're really, really shitty mm -hmm, and you have mm -hmm. to deal with them. But then you take a deep breath and you're like, okay, what's next? What's next? Like, I, want, sure. I want what's next. I want to see what's coming because I want to deal with that too. Absolutely. So um, you good on time? Like you're okay yeah, for yeah, a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I want to ask you too because you got your son sitting here behind us. And if you're okay talking about it, by all means. But uh, that's the other thing I should have told you before we started. Like <laughs> this isn't uh, live by any means. I go back and edit this No shit. worries. Um, how do you think not having a father in your life, or you, you talked about your stepfather not really being a positive influence in any way, shape, or form from the sounds of it. How did that affect you as a man? And then how have you seen that affect um, now that you're a father, mm -hmm. right? Both good and bad. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I have, uh, that's a great question. First and foremost, um, although I did not have a father figure um, in my life or a father-like figure, to be honest with you. I mean, there were men in my life. My grandfather was probably the, uh, my grandfather on my mother's side. Um, my grand, my grandpa Ross was the closest and most, um, present male figure that I had. Um, but I really didn't have like, um, a father figure. And, um, I, but that being said, I was raised by strong women had an, an, an immensely um, powerful um, powerful female presence in my life my my, my mother um, being one my my grandmother um, probably being the most dominant most prominent um, and uh, my aunt and other other individuals so um, I don't think that you need to be taught how to be a man by a man, right? I think that you can be taught how to be a good man, good person by um, uh, women as well. Um, that being said, um, you know, my, my there are things that my mother couldn't or didn't teach me, like how to shave, right? What direction to hold your razor and you know um uh you know like i couldn't necessarily go to my mother and ask her about some of the 
the things that were happening to my body, you know, and, 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 um, oh, that was an uncomfortable, um, position and place to be in. So definitely a father figure is, um, when raising a man and raising, um, a young man, um, is important. Um, and there's things that I missed out on, but there's, there's, there was, um, some things that I didn't uh, miss out on. That being said, uh, raising my son, um, you know, I realized that our, our children teach us more than we ever can teach them. That's just the way it is. And, and they teach us so much about ourselves. Um, you know, yeah, yeah they do. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, um, I love my son and I don't know if I ever, I loved people, um, but I don't know if I ever loved anybody before I loved my son. See, I've had that conversation with people before, right? Like I've talked to people before who don't have kids, mm -hmm. grown, like adults, happy, married, whatever the case may be. And then we'll have this conversation and I'm like, yes, I think you know what love is. I'm not saying you don't. But then there's a part of it, like it's not even, because it's almost a completely different thing, right? Yeah, it is. Like you know what love is and you're happy and you love your wife or your spouse or whatever the case may be. But then you meet your child mm -hmm. <laughs> and then everything else is just completely different after that point. And it's not even like it's almost, it's, I, I hate to say it's like a whole new level or a different spectrum. It's almost just a completely different thing. It's a different thing. And it's so bigger. And that's not to take away from people who don't have children and, and, and the love that they experience um, um, in their lives. Uh, I, that love is real, mm -hmm. right? And that love is significant. It's, uh, it's, it's super significant. Um, it's just different. It's just different. It's, um, there's something, and it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Especially to people that don't have kids. Especially to people who don't have <laughs> kids. It's hard to explain. But the, the, the love I have for my son, um, it's just, it, 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 it's something really special. Um, and, and anyways, the, the, what he taught me about the positive and negative things that I learned, the, um, I learned that I'm capable of loving. I didn't have a father figure growing up. And there was things that, you know, I experienced as a young person, like moving away from my, um, um, or being moved out of my, my mother's um, house with my stepfather and being moved away. I had detachment issues, you know, I had abandonment issues. Um, and safe for me was to be detached. Um, and there became a point, there came a point in my life where I wasn't necessarily sure if I was capable of loving somebody. Um, as I didn't know how scarred I was. Um, and I was able to prevent myself from letting people in other than my son. I was the only person that let, like, I, I can't be a hard ass with my son, like in the sense of not letting him into this fortress that I created. Uh, like it was, it wasn't even something I tried, but even if I had, it would have, it was immediate. Like my son, as soon as he was born, as soon as I saw him, women have a unique experience because they have something growing inside them. They're connecting with this thing that's eating from them. Right. Um, but for me, like until I saw him, it wasn't, it was just something in the belly. Right. And then I saw him and I was like, wow, that's like my son. You know, 
Um, so he taught me that I could, I was capable of love, um, a love that I wasn't sure that I, I, I was capable of. He also taught me that, um, um, that I want to be a better person and that I am capable of recognizing um, my flaws. And um, he has put me in a position, like there's times where I'll get upset with him and, um, and, I, and I might be a little bit more aggressive than I would like to be, like so far as um, the way I talk to him. And um, I've caught myself multiple times uh, I'm a stubborn individual and, and I've caught myself multiple times, like afterwards apologizing, you know, sorry, saying sorry, um, saying, um, making sure that he reinforcing and reiterating that I love him, you know, his daddy loves him and whatnot. Um, and apologizing, just apologizing for um, being a bonehead and, and making a mistake. Um, and so this is the thing about what um, my father taught me not to be him. That's that's really what I learned is his example of not being present, his example of. Um, and, and I remember what it was like. Like when my stepfather was treating me the way he, he was and, and my father wasn't there to like protect me from it or stand up um, to this person. Um, I remember what that felt like. And so, in a, in, and that is not something I ever want my son to feel, ever. Um, and in, in, in some ways, in some ways it's, it's like me fathering myself when I was young, you know? Um, so by fathering him and being a good father to him, it's like, me fathering the child in me as well, which is really cool. And we probably can tell him to be quiet again. <laughs> it's time and perfect, right? He's trying yeah, to. Yeah. Um, okay. How old is he? Uh, five. He'll be five. six in January. Yeah. I've got four kids. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You got a tribe. Yeah. My oldest is 19. And the way that you put it where they, <clears throat> like he teaches you things about yourself, right? And For then sure. you see different things about your personality and uh, even just things that you thought, right, before and after um, from having them. And I think that that's one of the really, really, really cool things if you let it happen, right, if you're aware enough to kind of be tuned into that, that our kids are constantly, like you said earlier, too, like they're always teaching us stuff. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I've been a dad for a long time, and I still am learning new things about myself and – it comes from my kids and sometimes it's in the really shitty times, right? Sometimes it's in experiences and things like that where I'm not proud of what I've done where, you know, I, in a sense failed as a father, but through that experience and through sometimes their actions, but also their words, like mm -hmm. especially as they start to, uh, become teenagers and start to get their own mindset and, you know, are being developed into who they're going to become as people. And they can actually communicate some of these things to you. Then it's like looking at it and be like, oh my God, like, thank you for pointing out that thing about mm -hmm. me that I really, really hate and I don't ever want to uh, express or experience again. For sure. And I can bring awareness to it and hopefully uh, 
let it go and evolve out of it. But they're, they're always doing that, man. And I think that's the cool thing, right? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, um, it is cool. It's cool that, the, that the relationship is, um, it's a unidirection, not uni, it's multidirectional, right? It's, it's not just, you're not just teaching them and them learning. Um, they're also teaching you and you're learning as well. So there's like this duality to it. And, um, you know, there's, you know, back to the love thing about loving your child and it being different. You know, it was, I had a realization one day um, that my son will never love me as much as I love him. It's an impossibility. He cannot understand those nights um, where I go and check in on him just to make sure his chest is moving. You know, like the times that like I've, the sacrifices, you know, like he cannot understand it. He shouldn't. He's he's a kid, right? He's, or he was a baby. Um, this is the beautiful thing about it, though. And this is what th- that taught me about myself. And the, when I say the love that um, I was capable of. In the past, in relationships, I, I, I had been one, a person who was searching for that reciprocation of love. I think that's what a lot of us are searching for. Like We love a person and we want them to reciprocate um, that love back. And we want it to feel equal, even if it can't be equal. We want it to feel that way. And the realization, when I had that moment of realization that my son will never love me as much as I loved him, it didn't stop me from loving him any less. I didn't love him any less is what I mean to say. I, I I realized that and it didn't matter. It was like, I'm going to love this person. I don't care if he can never love me as much as I love him. I'm going to shower this person with love. It's selfless. It's the first time I ever experienced that type of selfless love in my life where I didn't care if the person reciprocated it on the same level. Um, it didn't matter. And I wasn't going to stop loving them anymore. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It's it's indescribably beautiful. It is. <clears throat> it brings up a lot of different things for me. I think that um, that that awareness, right? Because yeah, you're you're never going to love anything more than you love your children. Um, and I agree, like your kids aren't ever going to fully understand the level that you love them mm-hmm. until they have kids, kids as well. Yeah, for sure. And they get to see the circle and the cycle and understand all of it. Um, one of the things that I constantly, cause there's things, right. I think one of the biggest things that kids, at least for me personally, that helps remind me, right. Even on a consistent basis, things that they're teaching me is how present they are mm. where kids are just living in the moment. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So at some point it changes as they get a little bit older, but like there's this time frame where they're not concerned about anything other than what's right in front of them. Absolutely. And sometimes it's frustrating as a parent because you're thinking about the 15 other things that we need to do before we get out of the house. But for them, they're just like right here in this present moment. So I always try to remember that when it pops up for me, right? I got a 12 year old boy and he's really good about just like, 
right now this is what I'm doing and I'm having fun and I'm playing and I'm like, that's great, but we got to go. Mm-hmm. And before we go, you got to take a shower and you got to do this, you got to do that. He doesn't think like that. Mm-hmm. He's just like, uh, that doesn't make sense because right now I'm doing this. For sure. So that's a good reminder for me. Um, but then I also always think because I realized at some point in being a dad was how much I, because yes, we're learning a lot from them, but I think that we also teach them so much as well, right? And it's not just in the practical sense of things that you talked about that maybe you missed out on from your dad where, you know, shaving or, you know, those things that we impart to our kids. Um, but they obviously learn the vast majority of stuff from just being with us and seeing mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. we live. And so I had this transition. Oh, well, I don't even remember when it was. It's been a long time where I realized like the way that I treat myself and the way that I love myself and the way that I behave in regards to my own personal well-being and health, that is a lesson in and of itself that my kids are going to uh, take away and they're going sure. to recreate throughout their life because I saw that dynamic with me and my parents, right? My mother and father and the way that they treated themselves. And I would repeat those same cycles as I became an adult. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to do so much better now (laughs) (laughs) because I want my children to love themselves the most, not in a selfish way, not in a, you know, conceited, I don't care about other people kind of way, but just in the way of like, my health, my well-being, my focus is always going to be what's best for me, right? Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. they avoid shitty relationships. Then they're not going to stay in a job that they're miserable with. They're going to take care of their bodies. They're going to do all these kind of different things that stem from a place of real deep self-love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to learn that unless I display that. For sure. And unfortunately, I didn't pick up on that until my kids were already kind of in the process, right? It would have been great to have them from babies mm-hmm. <laughs> to get to witness and see all of that. But so I'm playing catch up in some regards, but yeah, I think that, I think that that is extremely important. And I think that it's great that you um, are aware of the fact that um, the greatest teacher is your example. Um, and, and, and kids are sponges and they know when we're being hypocrites also, uh, they, kids are nothing but small people, right? Like there, there's things that they're limited. They may not, um, have the education, um, that some of us have, or all of us have, if they don't have any education at all. And, and, but they're just little people, they're people. And so, um, they're constantly absorbing, they're constantly learning. And, um, our example, if we're saying something, and we're doing something different, they might not, because you are their father or their mother or some figure in their life, they might not call you a hypocrite, right? Because that's not the uh, respectful thing to do. They might not even have that vocabulary. They might not even, yeah, they may not even have the vocabulary, but they know. Yeah. <laughs> they know. They know that you are lying and you're being a hypocrite. Um, and so, yeah, our example is, is the best teacher. And for you to be aware of that, I think it's great. Yeah. It's hard though. Cause I constantly catch myself. I'm like, well, you know, and that's, it's, that's another reason why like I force myself to do things that are good for myself. Right. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times parents get caught up in that thing of giving everything to their children and making everything about their kids, mm-hmm. which we do as parents because we want them to have everything and to be happy and to be content and all these kind of different things. But then we're never displaying to them the importance of taking that time, right. To go do something to, uh, better yourself. Like my wife and I, 
and it's easier now because our kids are older, but like we will specifically take the time to go do something just without them. So we're feeding our relationship and having a healthy relationship, or I'll take that time to go and exercise or, uh, just anything like that, that we do to feed ourselves and keep ourselves healthy. I think we have to show the kids, you know, and that's hard as a parent because you're like, I should be here, you know, doing this or helping them. Or, you know, if you're in the situation where you have to have them go to a babysitter or something like that, then it's difficult. But I think it, at the end of the day, what pushes me through is it's like, okay, what do I want my kids to do when they're adults? Yeah. I think one of the, one of the uh, mistakes that we as parents, some of us um, make is that we, we are like, well, I didn't have this when I was a kid. And so I'm going to make sure that my kids have everything. Um, You know, sometimes I say no to my, my son just because I haven't said I've said too many yeses in a row. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I purposely throw a no in there, even if it's something that I could just say yes to. I, I purposely throw a no in there just because um, he had. I, I, I believe that some of the things. I, th- I think I'm a good person, and I think that uh, some of the ways that I was raised, even though I didn't like it, helped me become the person I am. You know, not having everything, not um, my mother saying no um, sometimes, my my mother disciplining me it wasn't fun, you know, it wasn't cool, um, but uh, it helped me become the person I am, and uh, and 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 I th- and I think that uh, too many of us want to be our kids' friends and liked by them and on a friendship level. Um, and personally, you know, like that's not something, that's not an approach that I have when it comes to parenting. Um, my, my son will have many friends. He will only have one dad, you know? Um, and, and my job is to be his daddy and, um, and let his friends be their friends. And I want him to like me. Certainly that, that would be nice. Um, but, but my job is just to, um, be his father. And that's the best job. You know what I mean? Like for me personally, like I, I, that is the best calling, um, that I can have. So I'm not forfeiting that for a friendship calling, (laughs) you know, that's, that's not what I'm doing. I'm taking the calling that I was given and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live that out. Um, and, 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 and that means saying no sometimes, you know, that means saying, um, not being the, the liked person sometimes, you know, but to your point of presence and them being so present, you know, I, when I realized that how present, um, um, kids are and my sons in particular is he will go upset. He will go to bed upset, mad at me. Right. And wake up with a smile. Good morning, daddy. <laughs> like, it's completely erased. Yeah. Like the, 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 the problem he had with me the night before, because I made him go to bed early or, um, go to bed before he wanted to, or I didn't let him, um, watch, uh, you know, a show on TV while he was in bed. And, you know, he was upset about that and didn't want to say good night to me. And, but he wakes up in the morning and it's erased. Like, 
that that was like a lesson that I like another lesson that he taught me is like how to just let it go. Let it go. Like the 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 new day is just that. It's a new day. Whatever happened the day before. Um and that's something I'm still working on, but it is that is an example. That is an example of how letting it go not only just helps you out, like it helps him to let it go, but the feeling it gave me right? Like on the other end of the fact that he released himself of that anger and upset and how that affected me and made me feel good and how I could do that for other people, you know, like I could let things go and that would be beneficial for me and my health <laughs> and well-being, but um, beneficial for the other person as, as, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's so many lessons there for sure. I love it because it's uh, like all these things that we try to uh, <clears throat> get back to and implement in our lives. And as adults, right, we're going to become conscious and aware and start living life in a different way. And it's all these little simple practices for sure that kids just do. Just do. <laughs> there was, there's this guy, his name is Chris Emden. Um, shout out to Chris Emden. He's a um, brilliant mind um, from New York. And uh, he said that we unlearn, we unlearn, like as we get, we get um, older, as we grow, uh, there are things that are innate in us, you know, that we unlearn. Um, forgiveness. Like kids f will fight each other and five minutes later be just fine, right? Uh, we unlearn that. I don't know what part of society or what part of conditioning we go through um, that takes that piece out of us. But as you stated, like there's there's th there are things in us as young when we're younger and much, much younger that um, are beautiful things. Racism doesn't exist in, in little babies. You know what I mean? Like that's it's, it's just certain things um, that are in little kids that are just beautiful. And like you said, we're trying to get back to, yeah. <laughs> you know, like we're trying to get back to. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, man, I can't thank you enough. This oh, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. It's been a great conversation, much needed. This was um, somewhat of a, a therapy session, so I appreciate it. Man. <laughs> so, if people, um, we got a lot of listeners, right? Uh, what's the easiest way for them to find the organization? And then, if there's some way, like, is there ways for people? Obviously, if they're here locally, right? We got a lot of listeners across the Wasatch Front in Utah and things like that. But if we've got somebody on the other side of the world that's listening, is there a way for them to? help out, to reach out, anything like that? Um, okay, well, the, the easiest um, way to get in touch with us um, or to um, connect with us and stay, in, stay up to date to what we're doing is um, our Facebook page. It's just facebook.com forward slash nurture the creative mind. Um, we also have a website um, that's updated pretty regularly, so you can connect with us there. Um, and, you know... Um, uh, I'm a fan of relationships. Like I, I think that um, everything, you know, contribution, support um, is, is all a byproduct of like genuine relationships. So anyone who is local um, or if you're not local, um, it, you know, like I, if you want to, if you're looking for a way to uh, support us, you know, just, um, you know, come in and, and, you know, connect with the kids, connect with me. Um, you know, let's start at a relationship. Um, of course, um, we, as a nonprofit, we're always looking for um, monetary contributions. Uh, so 
um, that would be beneficial and helpful also. But more than um, I look at monetary contributions as a um, like a glass of water and relationships as like a well, you know, so um, I, I would love a glass of water, but I would love to build a well as well. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's it. Sweet, man. Well, you're more than welcome, like down the road, you guys ever got anything, you're more than welcome to jump on the podcast at any point. I'd love to have you back. And, okay. um, you know, like I said, any sort of, you get somebody in here that you want to shout out or throw out there in some way, shape or form, hit me up because you guys are doing great work. So, all right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I think the best question you can ask yourself is what now? We should all be doing our part to do what we can, whatever that may be. The me is less than the we. You feel like th something's missing. It's meaning that's missing, I think. I want my legacy to be something in which I can feel as if my life mattered, that I had an impact on the world around me, and that impact was positive.